You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. Now, before we begin, do not forget, you can catch the highlights from every Premier League game before anyone else simply by downloading the Times app to your smartphone. Truth in advertising, it's not really before anyone else because the people inside the ground will presumably see the goal in real time. This week, we've got former star of Militant Tendency, Tony Evans. And the hardest Yorkshireman at the Times, which isn't saying much because the other one is Rory Smith, it's Matthews. And down the line in the sunny Northeast, it's the Belgian god, George Colkin. Let's get right into it. First up, Arsenal and Liverpool. Back to Suarez in the wall and goes down. Under a challenge from Oxford, Chamberlain, Howard were completely unimpressed. Suarez in some pain. Well, he caught him and that... In many people's eyes, should have been a penalty. Maybe, though, Howard Webb, unimpressed by the overreaction. No penalty. Tony, you're an obvious place to start. We will be getting into Suarez and Webb and whatever. Brendan Rodgers came out and said that his team deserved to win. Is he right? I don't think he deserved to win when you miss chances like that. And you defend like that. You know, they conceded two bad goals. And they had the opportunity to put the game away early on. The interesting thing is... It's not that different from the five-one game. You know, they come out, you know, sort of blowing a storm. They get the chances and they don't put them in. Had they missed the chances in the five-one game, again, Arsenal would have had a chance to climb back into it. Um, I think it, one of the problems that Roger discovers is attack superb, but it's it, you know the rest of the team is unbalanced. It's not good enough, and you know they, if they don't score, they will lose because you, you look at the first goal. I mean. 
you know, it's, it's cock up by committee. But, uh, you know, you, you've got to ask yourself what Skirtle's doing. He didn't hold the line. It meant he was too far away when the ball came in. He couldn't get to the header. And the, the defensive mistakes is killing them. When you can see two goals, you're not going to win games. Not very often, anyway. Or unless it's against Fulham. <laughs> George, is it is it that, 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 that difficult to organise a defence? Because it, it strikes me that, I mean, if what Tony's saying is accurate... And, and it is because he's our boss. These, these aren't lack of quality mistakes. They're lack of organization mistakes, people not standing, doing what they're supposed to do, right? Does some of that involve, yeah. I mean, I would say, I would say to sort of Arsenal's credit, Oxlade-Chamberlain, I think would have been very difficult for anybody to mark yesterday because he, so, he was so quick. You know, Arsenal played pretty well. Arsenal played pretty well too. So, I mean, you know, bad defending, good attacking. What's the, you know, what's the balance there? Matt, the... George mentioned uh, Oxley Chamberlain there. He, he, of course, sets up one goal, scores another. Probably should have given away a penalty. Um, we'll get to Webb in a minute. I was struck by that, that tackle on Suarez, which, wasn't, um, which obviously wasn't sanctioned. Um, he seemed completely and freakishly uncoordinated in the way he went into it, which, which was strange because this is a professional footballer. And I'm wondering, is that the, the weirdness of his challenge, is that maybe what threw Howard Webb off? Looked, looked a bit like a Paul Scholes tackle, didn't it? He just sort of dive in. Yeah, Paul Scholes on mescaline. I mean, whoa, whoa, England Zizou. <laughs> well, the greatest <laughs> player ever, Paul Scholes. Can't tackle. Shouldn't have been allowed, should he? <laughs> but he was, he, was, he was desperate, wasn't he? He just dived in recklessly, very well, high. Any later, it would have missed the sort of post-match highlights. Um, but he did, as George says, he did play very, very well when he had the ball. And in fairness, he could have got, should have got Steven Gerrard sent off, who brought him down pretty clumsily twice. And he is the England captain and England Zizou, Mark too. But I, I, I am interested in this though because there is, I mean, there is a thought process that goes on. George, I want to ask you because I think I believe today you are the biggest England fan here out of the four of us. Uh, um, I would very much doubt that. I, I you take some, ask me the question. I, I still believe you are more of an England fan than Tony. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that was difficult. But, exactly, but I'm still I would still be minus. Right, but you, you can't compare. Hughes, you're less of an England fan than George, right? I thought I would have thought so. You I'm sporting no, England I since Italia ninety. I dispute that. All right, but <laughs> I'll ask you this, George, because I'm interested in, in the thought process here because this is somebody who's in his own box, right? And I understand challenging Suarez in a way of nicking the ball away, but to go in the way he did, it, it, should this be a concern for England? Because on the one hand, if he has energy and he's going to be so good and so clever, then he needs to go and play a big part in Brazil. But then you have a guy making Can a decision. I, mean, I, I also haven't watched an England game for three years. I report on, I report on Ireland, so you have to ask Matt Hughes this question. I thought you might Sky Plus them and review them later for you your own enjoyment. Wrong. <laughs> okay, maybe I'm the biggest England fan here. All right, Tony, I will direct this at you then. Okay. Howard Webb. Howard's Webb. He's sitting there. He's perfectly positioned. Now, right, he got away with it in the World Cup because he said, like, well, I didn't see Nigel de Jong karate kick Chabi uh, Alonso in the sternum because there were players in the way, so how could I call it? And you had a whole bunch of, of, of cattle mooing and saying, yeah, Howard, you're still the best. You're still the best, right? And four years later, he's still going to the World Cup. He obviously saw this. Is this the equivalent of, of Lionel Messi missing a sitter? Is this what it is? And we just kind of move on and say stuff happens. 
I think you have to move on, isn't it? Because what are you going to do? I mean, no. What you're going to do is you do what you you ask yourself: Should this guy still be getting the bigger games? Is there a referee who's performing better? Is something wrong with you? I mean, well, you know, well, yeah. Well, I mean, here's the problem: he had a shocker. But let's face it: we're getting to lynch a referee a week territory, don't we? You know, it's um, no, it's, it's it's holding referees to account because some referees are better than other referees. So well, some referees are better than other referees. In general, Howard Webb is one of the better referees. Right. But he had a bad day. He had an awful day. And should it not be a concern in establishing whether this is a trend with him and maybe somebody else should be number one or whether this is just a blip? Well, is that should that not be a priority? Well, well, yeah. I mean, but is there anyone? Is is there a viable candidate to be number one in referees? Pop pickers. I, you know what? There, there are refereeing nerds out there who spend their whole time, I, I know, because you know I what? interact you know with them on Twitter, who some of them are qualified referees, and they go and they analyze this stuff every week. It's, it's amazing. Do you know what? Like some of these websites. Do you know what? It's bad enough living with statistical nerds without refereeing nerds. I don't want any of it. I don't want any of them. Go away and leave the game. Leave me alone. Go and take a baseball or something. You know, just let me enjoy it. I don't think, I don't think we should be too surprised about that mistake because let's not forget that Raheem Sterling did touch him with his fingertips and that's enough to knock any referee out of his strike. Right. Did, you, did you think that was it? The, the assault, Sterling's assault on, on, on Webb that somehow threw him? Kind I of love like the pictures of that. I love the pictures of Howard Webb's face when there was sort of this look of absolute sort of outrage that someone had dared touch him with his with his fingertips. Uh, well, 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 Howard Webb is a policeman. Could he just take out his CS gas and spray him? And, or is, well, it would be that would be justice done more swiftly, yeah. I think, to use a technical term, he just bottled it yesterday. He'd given one penalty for a foul on Suarez. He didn't want to give another one so quickly afterwards. I mean, is there, is there a case to say... I mean, you know, you sort of look at those highlights and obviously when they're when it's reduced to such slow motion, it, it changes it. But, you know, Suarez does pike and he does twist and he does, he does make a meal of it, to use that sort of cliche, as he goes down. It's not to say that he wasn't fouled because he obviously was, but... He then he then did make you know he didn't did, did make something of it. Does that re- reaction well, play a part in it when look, it's when it happens so quickly? Look, I don't want to defend Howard's web. He's the last person I want to defend. But you know, people who make massive mistakes every day in their lives, like scream blue murder every time a referee does it. The reason Liverpool lost was not because of Howard's web. The reason Liverpool lost is because they didn't put away the chances, and they had the chances, and they defended badly. And you know what? It's uh, and when Brendan Rodgers looks at it, he'll he wish like he has been wishing for a while. He had better defenders. You know, he probably won't want Howard's web again, nor he, but. The, the list of referees that managers don't want grows by the week. Now, um, moving on to, uh, to Arsenal, who I, I thought, you know, Wenger said they didn't have anything to prove and so on. But, I mean, obviously, if you play the same team again and you, you know, you win, I think to yourself, you are um, showing something. I, I want to get you, Hizzy, because uh, Sonogo started up front and he came with a reputation as somebody who'd been brilliant uh, a while back at sort of under-17 or under-20 level. Last season could hardly get a game in, in the second division, seen as somebody who had some injuries, people weren't sure how committed he was, but I, he started because Olivier Giroud was... Um, tired. Tired, yes. A few late, few late nights. The, the, that's it. And by the way, you could, um, you could go on... And on a whole other tirade, or I could go on a whole other tirade about this woman, who I believe is Ollie's cousin or something, right? <laughs> News well, to me, but... Well, they uh, share a last name, don't they? Um, 
Yes. Yeah, anyway, and, and the appropriateness of making that um, <laughs> of making that news. But the point is, Sano goes in there, and I thought he he I thought he did extremely well. I thought he showed a maturity and a physicality that you know made me wonder why don't we see this guy more often? He's big, strong boy. He's he's a handful. He's quick. Technically, not sure. <laughs> there were a couple of sort of gratuitous air shots, which if Emil Heskey had made them, we'd, we'd be laughing about it now. So I, I, he but, showed that there's something in there, but he's he's a long, long way away from being ready to play in the Premier League on a, on a regular basis. And I think Wenger took a big gamble yesterday and, in a sense, was lucky to get away with it because Sturridge missed those two chances in the first five minutes. If they go in, it's a completely different narrative. Liverpool win the game. Wenger, mm. Arsenal get booed off before they play Bayern Munich, and it's another crisis for Arsenal. So he, he was lucky. He was lucky yesterday. All right. So clearly, you do not share my enthusiasm for Mr. Sonogo. Well, there's, I, there's something there, but you see, I, 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 you wouldn't I, I, play him against Bayern Munich. I, no, I, I'm less concerned about the technical side of things. I think on this Arsenal team, this isn't a side where you need a centre forward to convert chances necessarily, because the goals come from other areas. You need a centre forward to tie up the defenders to, to to make the runs to open the spaces. And I thought. I, I thought he did that. Well, I, I mean, I think he's the sort of player that you would use against Skate Lanaga, who are not physical centre halves. <laughs> I, I, I think against a physical centre half, he, you know, he might not have uh, as much joy. I didn't think technically he was that good. He, he's, I mean, you know, it's too early to judge. Uh, it, it's the first time I've never seen him live, so you know, it's one of them. But I have to say, my instinct is he's not going to be leading the line for Arsenal very often. That was his full debut, wasn't it? I think, but yeah. um, but he played a big part in the first in the first goal, and but also looked a bit raw. I thought. Silva, back to Nasri. What a way to return to the first team after injury. Samir Nasri makes it two 0 Was he offside? He seemed to be level. Right, moving on from uh, one FA Cup match to another, City and Chelsea. City win two 0 There's a. Uh, the second goal might have been offside, but probably was a little offside, but difficult to call. We'll get into the game for a minute, but we need to detour a little bit on, on Jose Mourinho here. A bit of backstory, and, and Matt, you're our most seasoned Chelsea watcher here, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. All of this stems from Mourinho making comments about how it's a three-horse race, but his horse is just a, a little gelding or something needing to suckle at Mourinho's own teat, and uh, is... Uh, you know, unsuited to challenging the big, mighty Clydesdales who are full of money and experience. So then Wenger says, yes, well, when people go and uh, uh, say stuff like that, that, they're not the favorites, it might be a fear of failure. And then Mourinho gets his panties in a twist and says, well, failure? Did somebody say failure? Wenger would know all about it because he's a, he's a failure specialist and blah, blah, blah. And, of course, Wenger hasn't won any, any trophy since 2005. The latest twist, Wenger basically comes out and says, look, he's only embarrassing himself by being kind of a freak show. Is that a fair summation of the, the most recent diatribe between these two? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, the, the bottom line is Mourinho will do whatever it takes to win. That includes slugging off fellow managers, slandering the good name of Berkshire Ambulance Service, poking um, well, Bill over in the eye. You know, what it, the, the, the gloves are off of Mourinho. Um, it's well, you, you're referring to incidents when Tito Villanova assaulted Mourinho's finger with his eye <laughs> and when Berkshire Ambulance Service decided they, they wanted to cause permanent brain damage to Peter Cech, right? It's, yeah, deliberately, because yeah. that's what public servants do. Exactly. Um, it's What's fascinating is this is about a month since Mourinho gave his I've changed speech and we, all the football writers were sort of um, 
lauding him for being a new, mature manager. That lasted a long time, didn't it? <laughs> but George, we, we tend to assume that when this stuff happens, that there's some kind of master plan behind it. But what I'm not clear about was what the master plan is here, in the sense that, yeah, assuming you're, you're unsettling Arsenal somehow, but Arsenal are playing in the FA Cup. They're not playing in the league. You're not facing Arsenal. What do you care about firing back? Well, yeah, I mean, there is, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, we're, I suppose we're part of this, you know, we're part of this process as well in the sense that, you know, journalists go and ask managers questions, managers answer questions, uh, and then kind of it's reported as mind games or, or whatever, and it kind of looks, possibly looks more sinister or, uh, you know, sort of looks more like a kind of grand plan than actually people just responding to each other, and, and that's just what they... And that's just what they uh, say. I mean, it's. I mean, I have to say that I kind of giggled when Mourinho said what he did did the other day because I thought it was kind of quite funny. There is he is what he is a master at is getting under the skin of people, and whether there's a, a plot on his behalf, whether that's a plan on his behalf or not, I don't know. But it does. I report on northeast football, so success and failure. You know, there are shades of that as far as I'm concerned. But like any, like any kind of good insults, it. Mourinho's worked because there's an element of truth in it. You know, no matter how how brilliant Wenger's been, and for all the context of Arsenal moving stadia, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, by their own standards, Mourinho had a point, and that's why it bites. The thing about Mourinho that we sometimes forget he is he's incredibly emotional. For all that he is a master strategist and Machiavellian, and he says things deliberately. On Friday, when he said that, I think he, he was genuinely. Angry in the press conference, and he, he genuinely doesn't like Wenger. He doesn't like Wenger. He's he's the ultimate alpha male, and he he thought that you know, oh, you've called me scared. I'm not scared, and, and that was that was how sort of pure and immature it was. Really, I, I was at the press conference. He was genuinely angry, hmm. which given Wenger made a pretty anodyne general statement in which he hadn't even mentioned Chelsea or Mourinho, um, just shows sort of. What an intense character and you know slightly paranoid M- Mourinho is, and he's filled the vacuum, the ranting lunatic vacuum left by Ferguson, hasn't he? And some, yeah. Yeah, but Ferguson was generally calculated, though, right? No, I think Ferguson was emotional as well. I think I think people underestimate Ferguson's emotion and anger, particularly after matches. You know, yeah, all the yeah. times no, after you... matches, yeah. But this, this is a press conference. This is what I don't understand. Like, why do you have to go and do this? I mean, when this this embarrassment thing, yeah, it is pretty embarrassing because you know what? Like, I, I well, find this less embarrassing than all the you know the the little law stuff, which was just ludicrous. Trying to restyle Chelsea as the underdogs, you know, was just ridiculous. Well, the thing is, the one thing about the the Wenger stuff, which which I don't think is well, you know, you might say it's unseemly. I don't think it's embarrassing because it does have an edge of truth about it. What? The, which the Wenger has not won a trophy, and in the time since Wenger's last won a trophy, I mean, you, you you know you, you want to so see success as you right. want to see success. If you want to see success as on the balance sheet, if you want to see finishing really? the top four, that's fine. But I, I'm 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 with Mourinho on this. I, I, I'm not. I think it's just it's just a stupid, idiotic thing to say when he's had a positive net spend all these years. And I, I, I think it does matter actually because it's down to the resources you get. To this day, there's this great mess, mystery if it really is Wenger not wanting to spend money, or if it is Kroenke saying, "Hey, Arson, say that you don't want to spend money, but in reality, leave all the cash here." And you know what? This whole business with with it since 2005. Uh, hey, what? Had they beaten Birmingham, uh, Birmingham City in the in the League Cup final, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But they didn't. But it's the League Cup final, and nobody cares about the League Cup. Seriously, 
It, 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 it's, it's like the demented, ugly stepsister. You say they don't care about it. They care about it enough. Now, you, you know, if he was won the, the, the League Cup, then, you know... It's not a measure of anything. The point being, Wenger doesn't care enough about the other Cups. So that's why he made Precisely. seven changes yesterday. But Seriously, but, but, it's, it's but like Wigan last year, where, 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 where they play a bunch of non-league teams uh, and a bunch of understrength teams, and they get to the final, and then they, they play out of their skin against City. Okay, what does that tell you? Well, that's a trophy that he won, right? Well, but yeah, but I mean, the thing is, if you don't want to be slagged off for not winning trophies, win a trophy. Don't say the trophies don't matter. You know, all that matters well, is finishing in the top four. I mean, I, you, you, I'll tell you what, you, you want to rebrand football as a success in finishing, you know, second, third or fourth. Well, you're welcome to it, but I think it's a load of old tosh. And, and George, I know where you're going to go with this, and I think, put it this way, Sunderland's resources are... A, a tiny fraction of arsenals. And that's what I meant when I said it doesn't matter. It obviously, it's, it's a different context or something. We've got loads of resources, so we don't have to win. That doesn't make the slightest bit of sense. Surely that's all the more reason you should win. It's a knockout competition. So? It's a knockout competition. Isn't that the purest form of the, the game? You know, it's not, it's every game matters form of the you game. win. Arsenal and Liverpool. Oh, look, here's Brad Jones. I'm like, who's Brad Jones? The doorman? Well, why, why is he playing for Liverpool? Well, exactly why is he Why can't we Liverpool? have our best teams out I, there? I, I personally believe you should try and win every game you play. You know, I, and, I, and when you don't, frankly, you're a failure. It's not a knock on Brad Jones. It's just that he's not the number one. The, I mean, the, the, completely changing the subject, really. But, well, it's not. It's the same subject. But, um, but, but I, I thought it was fascinating. Southampton making six changes on, 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 on Saturday. You know, they're eighth on the table. Absolutely, perfectly, completely safe. Nothing to worry about. And even they were sort of treating the FA Cup like that. It was that was absolutely baffling. That was beyond baffling. I thought that was completely idiotic, since they know knew two of the of, of sort of the four bigger favourites would be exiting this weekend. We will get to that uh, in the quick hits. Maybe you can shed some light here, uh, Hughes, because trying to figure out what Mourinho is doing. So he took off Sami Atoll at halftime. Afterwards, he gave a pretty cryptic quote about why I took him off. He brings on Mohamed Salah. And then for about 15 minutes, he seems to play with Eden Hazard as a center forward. And then he brings on Torres. Now, I, I know that we had to say that his substitutions are brilliant and blah, blah, blah. But w- w- what was this? What was he thinking? Did anybody ask him about that? I wasn't actually at the game, so I didn't myself. Um, I can only assume Torres isn't fit enough to play for longer than 15 minutes. And he's slowly nursing him back. And... As a consequence, we've got Eto is pretty exhausted because he's played five games in a row and he's 33. Um, Hazard has played as a centre forward before, not to not, not with any degree of success, I must say. But um, it's it's not the first time he's been used in that position. City well, plays him really well, though, so he might have been um, switching him to try and give him more space and a bit of freedom. Well, he certainly wasn't involved first. I mean, Chelsea yeah. were poor full stop, weren't they? It's one of those performances we saw at the start of the season under Mourinho, where they just looked a bit lethargic and weren't, weren't really up for it. Well, In a funny way, I think going, I think actually, for the title race, losing that game could do them a lot of favours. And City have got so many huge fixtures, particularly to get past Barcelona. Chelsea looked pretty well placed in the, in the Premier League to me. I just want to ask you about Ivanovic here too, because I, I, I mean, I, I really like the guy. But if you have a problem with David Luiz playing centre back, and there could be some suggestion that you know he was certainly responsible for the second goal, why not just play Ivanovic at centre at centre half? Well, 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 why keep pretending that like he's so effective as a right back? He's effective as a Mourinho right back because they just kind of sit, and then nobody thinks they're gonna they're gonna do anything, so he can lope forward and, and put it across. But well, is he is he not better? 
Saturday night? I think he's been great. Great at right back. Whenever he's played there, he was very good under Rafa and Di Matteo. I guess the reason he doesn't want to play him at centre-back is he doesn't want to play Ashley Cole, which is extraordinary. On Friday, he was saying Cahill's out, Cole plays. Cahill played on a bit of a bit of a gamble with his car problem. Ashley Cole is, is nowhere. It's, that's the real big issue for Chelsea in England next next couple of months. I can't see when he'll ever get back in. And he's out of contract in, in June, right? Yeah, and he'll probably go elsewhere because why why would he want why would he want to be on the bench behind Aspilqueta and Ivanovic? Is, is Ivanovic's discipline a problem? Because, I mean, I don't mean in terms of fouls and all that, but he, he gets in the opposition area more than Torres. He scores more goals than Torres. Yeah, he just, you know, it's like, and, and, and I know that was part of his game that drove Rafa Wilds a bit. You know, it's, um, he just suddenly goes galloping up and not, doesn't look over his shoulder. You know, oh, yeah, you old and nah, I'm getting in their box. Amazing. Um, George, um, since. We have established you are the biggest England fan here. Ashley Cole, it seems bizarre. And, and I mean, I, I guess we can only speculate because the guy doesn't talk to the media because the guy doesn't like it. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I mean, it's like anybody, actually. What's going on? Did you want to throw out some bit of wild speculation about why Ashley Cole isn't A, playing regularly, B, talk, speaking out more, C, why there isn't uh, a whole glut of teams hankering after his services, given that you can get him for nothing in the summer, and given that until a few short months ago I had the same punditocracy telling me that he was the best left back in the world. Um, no, I really don't care either way. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can get excited about Ashley Cole. I'm giving you guys the opportunity to talk about him, and none of you will speak right, about right, right. him. Let's be fair to Ashley Cole. For the best part of a decade, he was about as good a left back as anyone in the world. He, he had, he had certain, you know, he didn't use the line very well, but he made up for things with his pace. And and he was a fantastic player, an objectionable character on many levels, but a fantastic player. And he's reaching the end of his career. He's in decline. Mourinho sees it. He's not going to get a game. No one wants him. It's as simple as that. Well, it's not that quite that simple because the evidence of his decline isn't really there. He's not, he's not been brilliant, but I remember as in Ukraine, that England game at the start of the season, and he was the best player on the pitch. And England got a nil-nil. Yeah, but that's not saying much that night. Yeah, yeah so but he defended very, 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 very well against against um, Ukraine, Ukraine's best player. He's barely played since Chelsea lost at Newcastle. There was that incident with the Arsenal Christmas party. He went out when he wasn't mm. supposed to. Since then, he's played, he started three games, all against average teams in the Cup. So there's clearly an issue between Mourinho and Cole. Um, does that mean he's passed it? I'm not sure it does because he simply he, hasn't played enough. If, we're, if, judging, we're judging him by his absence. If, if he was at the top of his game, Mourinho will put him in no matter what he did. Can anybody think of a London club that might need a left back? 
Well, all of them. Yeah, I think one in particular. All right, moving on to our debate, because we're fortunate that George Calkin is uh, is with us, we can uh, turn our attention to to Newcastle. Is it four home defeats in a row, George? It is. Just what, the departure of Kabai, the departure of Kinnear? What's had more of a negative impact? Well, it's a, it's a kind of, it's a very strange situation on the face of it. There they are, ninth on the table, pretty comfortable, big gap over tenth. Uh, what's the, you know, what's the fuss? But... I mean, I, I can't think of a time when Newcastle's felt more hollow, more empty as a football club. It's, there's certainly been moments where it's been in more peril, more danger, but really sort of people questioning the point of the football club. And um, yes, I mean, sort of in the in the short term, seven defeats in nine matches, one win, that's not very good. But there's sort of, a, you know, there are kind of bigger issues here. Yes, selling goodbye, no replacement, no permanent signing for over a year no director of football that's obviously quite a good thing in the short term no chief exec two defeats to Sunderland this season early exits from both cups and really kind of a feeling of of hollowness about the place and you know I think I, th- I think last month has has certainly had, had, had an effect they were you know they were placed well they had a chance to kick on and it's the opposite. And you know, Kabai wasn't just a, wasn't just an important figure on the pitch. He was a fairly influential presence in the dressing room as well. So, they there really is a sort of very deep feeling of drift about the club at the moment. And it's something that they need, you know, that they need to arrest. I mean, they're not in any, you know, they're not in any sort of danger. But there is a sort of wider. I mean, you know, in terms of relegation or whatever. But there is a sort of wider issue here. Which is, in terms of you know season ticket sales, so on and so well, forth. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence about people cancelling direct debits, and you know the, the kind of the the debate is is almost what the point of Newcastle is at the moment. Well, George, I, I want to ask you about this because I, obviously Newcastle gets depicted a certain way in, in, in the national media, and Newcastle fans do. When for me, like, I was struck going back after the the whole Freddie Shepherd incident some of the things he said. After Bobby Robson's book came out when he talked about the people who were running the club at the time and what they did to the club and, mm. and, and to him, you know, I thought, you have passionate fans here. There is an apathy. I mean, where I come from, people would have marched down to the owner's house and given him, given him what for. I think that's what would happen in, in a number of cities, actually, and a number of clubs here in England as well, that people yeah. would mobilize and so on. Here, I yeah. saw a couple guys with Ashley, with those sad-looking Ashley, Ashley out signs. I mean, are, are people just basically ultimately so loyal that they can't see beyond that, that they don't want to do anything about this? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a kind of great point. I think if you sort of, I think if you asked people what the, what the image of Newcastle fans were, they would, you know, there would, there would be this thing sort of, you know, rebellious, oh, God, they're always moaning up there, it was sort of like that. And really... It's it's the opposite that's that's the true that you know that's true that they're loyal to a fault I would say, you know I think the relegation season when you know Keegan left Kinnear came in all that sort of huge turmoil, uh, and they went down it sort of proved that Mike Ashley could pretty much do what he wanted and people are still going to turn up. So Freddie Shepherd was right all along. In what sorry in what sense? About Newcastle fans and the fact that they could just he could just milk them. Well, uh, sorry, yes, I see what you mean. Well, I mean, in, to, to a certain extent, to a certain extent, yes. I mean, this, this, you know, there's a there is a real reluctance to to rebel. And you know, when Keegan left, there was a, there was a week of you know, kind of proper sort of militant feeling around the place, and it dissipated after a 
after a game or two. And there's no, you know, there is no one clear voice in terms of opposition to Ashley or what, you know, what the tax should be, whether it's boycotts, whether it's not buying season tickets, whether it's walking out of the stadium, you know, all that sort of stuff. There's no one clear voice in a way that, you know, Liverpool certainly managed and, and Manchester United managed. You can question the results of that, but there were certainly, you know, there was certainly sort of what seemed to be organised opposition. There isn't, there isn't any of that. So, you know, Ashley changed the name of the stadium. You know, they got relegated. All the, you know, Wonga, all those sort of pretty kind of corrosive and unpleasant decisions. There is, a, there has been a toll. Certainly, you know, certainly, as I say, certainly in terms of, you know, talking to people and listening to people, um, in terms of the way people feel about the football club, and it's a, it's a very easy thing to say that this is a sort of difficult time for them because, you know, backing that up with anything other than anecdotal evidence is, is very difficult. Sure. But if, if, if it gets to the point where people start cancelling season tickets, then that is a problem. Fans are now customers, and customers voice their dissatisfaction by voting with their feet or cancelling season ticket holders. They're not stakeholders anymore. That's what some people feel. Is that why it's so difficult for, for supporters to, to organise and, and do something? Well, I... I, I mean, even at, even at Liverpool, like... Well, they, they they did a lot. I mean, certainly at United, they voiced their displeasure, but bottom line, the Glazers are still there. Mm. At Liverpool, yeah, they... I mean, you can tell yourself you drove them out, but ultimately... The, the banks decided. Exactly. I, the, the, the problem is, it, it, it's less about that. But I think what's going on in Newcastle, from the sense I get from Newcastle fans that I speak to, is a slow erosion of this link between the, the the club and the people the, the city you know and it takes a lot to undermine that you know in, in sort of the traditional heartlands where clubs have meant so much over the years but but you're seeing this this you know so sort of, as i say this wearing away of it and it doesn't happen overnight you know people don't just go massively all right i'm not going anymore it, it just it, it, it just gradually builds up and I think we're getting towards a tipping point in Newcastle now and the thing is once you've lost it you'll never get it back and this is what Ashley neither knows nor cares about I think that's a really good point you know we were talking earlier about Arsenal and and Wenger and Mourinho's comments about you know about sort of failure and all that sort of stuff well you know that's that's always a very different argument in the northeast and certainly with Newcastle not won a domestic trophy since 55 so football you know football has to mean something else so you know you then you then look at the clichés about sort of its regional pride it's you know the collective being something important it's about you know representing and you know you want to watch nice football good football and you want it to be you want your team to kind of have a go now when you're when the hierarchy of the football club are saying earlier this season when Newcastle are in a you know very respectable position in the Premier League saying that cups aren't a priority for them you then kind of question and they and they go out of the cups so limply okay well so what is the priority then well you know they talk about last season's Europa League as if it's a sort of dirty word they're not going to get to the Champions League they've lost two games to Sunderland you know those 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 two games for better or for worse uh, can set the sort of tone for a season. So what is the point? You know, what is the point? And I think that I think that's it. People expect their football club to have a go, to be mm. involved, to be competitive, to try. And you can certainly argue that that's not. Been and, the case. and and I think that's the key to it. I mean, you know, it, it, bringing it round in a circle back to to Arsenal and all that. I mean, and, and I think the modern televisual fan who watches the game through the prism of the small screen doesn't realise. Winning traditionally has never been that important. What's been important is the sense of involvement, the sense of belonging, and the sense of 
of, of, of being part of it. This is something you do with your mates and you go to the match and the, the club's a flag bearer for a, a, a region. And, and all you want is for them to try. You don't mind getting beat as long as there's there's a, a, I, an effort there. I mean, I, I think that there's a much, there's a much, we've touched, we're scratching the surface of a much larger argument, obviously, in, in an age of television, you know, and, and, and I look at fandom beyond the people just go to the games, but obviously if you're, if the currency is simply winning, you'd have to be a complete freaking idiot to go and support anybody but one of the same sort of four or six big clubs in this country because if all you see is television and you don't have any other interaction, any sort of sense of community, even from a distance, even if it's some sort of virtual online community or, 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 or sort of sense of belonging, then you just see your team just get beat every week and, gee, mm. isn't that fun? And, you know, but, I mean, I know there's a whole subculture of masochism and sexual deviancy in this country, which might some some of those people might tap into. But I think, um, more generally speaking... I think that's a Yorkshire thing. That's not a Scouse thing. Yeah. <laughs> is it... Is it more, more deviant sort of Harrogate way than where you're from, right? It's more genteel, certainly. <clears throat> but uh, behind the curtains, anything goes. There you go. Speaking behind the curtains from Newcastle to a club that could be Newcastle's polar opposite, Fulham, the uh, little quaint club on the um, banks of the River Thames by Putney Bridge. So I, I looked uh, Saturday around 2 o'clock on the Fulham website, and there was a cast of thousands. They had a head coach, an assistant head coach, a first-team coach, a first-team manager, a first-team bus. Um, I, I, I kind of got lost in this. Oh, plus Alan Kerbishley and his friend Ray Wilkins. Usually, you live closest to Craven Cottage than any of us. Um, Probably just. Exactly. So I need you to tell me, what, so Felix Maggoth is the manager. Renee is gone. Yes. We don't Go, know that yet. Going. Yeah, going. Yeah. Well, he cer- he certainly, Why can't they just sack him? He certainly, well, because that would cost them more money than they want to pay. Payoffs, Yeah, so they'll be talking to lawyers as we speak, no doubt. So, yeah, Rene has all in per- intents and purposes left the building. It's just a question of how much money he's going to take with him for, what, what was it, 75 days? Yeah. Um, what about Curbs and Raimondo? Are they still around? Um, Curbs is around and I think he's staying. Ray Wilkins has gone probably to straight to Isleworth to commentate for Sky tomorrow in the Champions League. I imagine <laughs> making a seamless, seamless transition. Uh, it's a mess, isn't it? They, they've, they've, they've panicked, totally panicked. They made it's a classic case of sort of one bad decision begetting another. Really, um, they should have probably got rid of Jolly earlier. They let it slide. They brought in Mullenstein as some sort of assistant stroke replacement. Inevitably, he took over. That hasn't worked, and now they've panicked again and convinced themselves that Felix McGath is is the answer. Jury's out, really. Depending on who you speak to, you get you get different versions. His, his track record is is good on he paper. Won two doubles. He did with with, with Bayern with Munich, Bayern. <laughs> yeah, which is I think an important caveat. Uh, you know, he won the league with Wolf, Wolf's work, which is obviously a big achievement. He is, however, a very divisive figure who has sort yeah. of fairly uh, interesting, or has certainly employed fairly interesting training, motivational methods. Fulham might might need that in the short term. Equally, it could backfire spectacularly and they could sink into the room of Thames and vanish without a trace because they are one of those clubs that if they do go down, they could struggle to get back unless Carney's prepared to put in lots of money because they've, they've got a small ground, limited fan base, and they have been, they've been overachieving for 10 years. Really, Whatever you think about Mohamed Fayed for Fulham, he, he did, did a great job. 10 years in the Premier League. I remember going to watch them in the third, fourth division when they were... When Steve Finnan was playing for them in the fourth division <laughs> and then again in the Premier League. <laughs> I don't normally like, despite my egomania, I don't like quoting from my own column. However, um, I am supposed to uh, uh, cross 
reference and cross-promote. And I, there is a Newcastle reference in there. So I'm going to direct this to you, George. Basically, it's just on the issue of, of, of Felix Magas. Now, Hamburg struggling uh, right up until Thursday morning, according to the Hamburg executives, Felix Magas was talking to the club. Uh, he was talking to Hamburg. The extraordinary thing, Felix Magath, because he's hip and cool, has his own Facebook page. And on Thursday, I'm sorry, on February 9th, actually just before that, he he does his post, and because he's a former Hamburg player and, and a former uh, Hamburg youth team coach, I believe, you know, he came out like, people of Hamburg, people who love Hamburg, it's great that we're all rallying together. The solution is near, meaning himself, and so on. And I made the point, imagine a Newcastle legend, imagine Kevin Keegan, going and, and, and posting something like this on, on Facebook or having somebody post it on Facebook for him, I'd be pretty low, right? Gosh, I mean... Um, I mean, if you were part of you, you'd kind of... I mean, I know you are part of the Cockney Mafia, but you'd feel kind of like, that's not very nice, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and it just shows, you know, it just shows how quickly things can change. I mean, you wonder what what would persuade him to change, uh, you know, to change his mind. Um, obviously, Hamburg, well, I was kind of... I was uh, I was going to slowly build to that crescendo, yeah. But um, you know, obviously Hamburg in trouble, but Fulham Fulham in, in in desperate trouble, and with limited time to sort of turn it turn it around. Uh, and on to some joyous quick hits, like the fact that, as Jane Ducker reports today, Wayne Rooney's about to sign a monster deal through 2019 that would see him earn as much as 300 grand a week. Tony, is that money well spent? I know what you're going to say because I read your column in the game. It's not money well spent, and it's money Manchester United might wish they kept in the bank come the summer or the summer after. To pay out as dividends to the shareholders? Well, no. Well, I mean, when you put in contact, context with the amount of interest they're paying to the, the, the Glazers' loans, it's probably chicken feed. But the reality is, if they get two years outside the Champions League, and you can see that happening, then they're going to wish they would have kept some of this money in the bank because their, 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 their incomes are going to dry up considerably. A depleted Sunderland overcome a depleted Southampton. Uh, George, you don't need me to tell you this, but Gus Poyet's crew would be 10th if the league had started on the day he was appointed. He's in the final of the League Cup. He's in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup. Uh, how are you celebrating the great man today? Well, he's, he's made a huge impact on form, confidence, style of play. Um, you know, three defeats in the 16 games, it's, uh, it's a pretty huge turnaround. The problem is, and, you know, it's probably... Not the best choice of words to say uh, to say this, but there's you know there's no black and white for Sunderland. They're in a final, they're in a quarter final, but there are no guarantees there, and they're back in the bottom three with Arsenal next. You know, and the biggest issue, the one that Poirier hasn't quite turned around yet, is home form in the league. Three wins all this season, and that has to that has to change. Speaking of Southampton, they sent out a reserve laden team, which frankly I didn't really understand, even though I am conditioned to praise Pochettino at every opportunity. Husey, they're not going to get into Europe, and they're not going to get relegated. Why not at least try to do something in the FA Cup? Well, they've been listening to you too much, Gab. What the, the, fact fo- it doesn't... the, the fourth football was cancelled, so they sent out the reserves. I guess. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I don't understand it. The FA Cup is a problem. The problem isn't the big teams putting out, you know, weakened teams. It's, it's the mid-ranking ones. It's just sort of. This new, is why new, we should Newcastle. eliminate these mid-ranking teams and just have a Super League where Liverpool can play United and Arsenal play City every week. Yeah, that'd be good. Great for TV. I'm surprised no one suggested it before. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I'm giving up at that point. Why do you think Liverpool won't be included? No, I'm just giving up football at that point. 
I don't well, want the Super League. They might want to put a franchise in. Actually, you don't need to put a franchise in Liverpool because you're better off putting one in Leeds in terms of catchment area. And Liverpool can just be swallowed up by Manchester because they have two big, big, big clubs. And there isn't much regional identity there anyway, right? Yeah, exactly. Everton put out a reasonable team and outlast Swansea 3 1. Tony, Assessor Roberto Martinez has chances of winning silverware for the second consecutive year. Well, I'll tell you what, he's, he's done fantastic there, hasn't he? They've run out of steam a little bit in the last you know, last month or so and the you know, the, the squad is, is you know, obviously the weaknesses and that will show. But yeah, I mean, let's face it, it's it's nineteen years since Everton won a trophy and they'd love to win the FA Cup. And you know what? Good luck to them. Uh, Tom Finney passed away this past weekend. George, it's hard to imagine footballers these days going to war, having real jobs, and still lighting it up on a Saturday. Uh, you were close to Sir Bobby Robson. I have a feeling you've had one or two conversations with him about Finney. Yeah, you say that. Bob, Bobby's working life started in Langley Park, Colliery. You always had to kind of remind yourself of that. He agreed with Shankly's assessment that Finney was uh, England's best, uh, best ever all-round play. He talked about his football brain, the skill, the way he used space, the fact that he could tackle like a defender very brave. He actually was in the England team when Bobby made his debut, international debut in 1957. Bobby was, he would tell this lovely story, he was very nervous before the match, he sat down next to Finney and sort of said, you know, what's it going to be like? And Finney Finney said, yeah, you're right, it's going to be tough. France are a good team, they are playing, you know, some of the best players in Europe, but we've got good players too. So if you find yourself in a jam, don't worry, just give me the ball and I'll keep it for 10 minutes and give it back to you. Uh, give it back to you when you've got your confidence back. And Bobby <laughs> said that he was a sort of hilarious hilarious bloke who helped take the pressure away. England won 4-0 that day. Bobby scored twice. Wigan win at Cardiff to keep their hopes of repeating as FA Cup champions alive. Husey, if they do it again, it would be the greatest story ever told in the history of humanity, or at least the Northwest, right? Well, I wouldn't want to exaggerate, but yeah, it would certainly be a pretty, pretty, pretty good achievement. I don't think it's going to happen. Hoover <laughs> Rosler's doing a good job, but they've got Man City away in the next round, and Pellegrini, Pellegrini to his credit, yeah, but they didn't have a manager, did they? Roberto had been told he was on his way out. Actually, read it in the papers on the day of the game. The team didn't turn up. Pellegrini, to his credit, is wants to win every trophy. He's sort of bought into the Jose Mourinho sort of ethos of you know. Success begets success. So I think City will put out a strong team and we'll, we'll, we'll be too good for Wigan, surely. That's true, Pellegrini. Definitely not a specialist in failure like some people, unless Jose says he is. Oh, God, but we talked about Hamburg before, but uh, they can make history in the Bundesliga this season, can't they? Uh, the wrong sort. Yeah, they can get relegated um, and have never been relegated and it's pretty remarkable when you look at the size and wealth of, of the club and the catchment area and whatnot. What's interesting is, while we're all for the democratic German 50 plus 1 model, one of the issues that people have been pointing at is that they, they have a chief executive and a director of football make decisions, but they also have this 11-person supervisory board, which is voted on by the supporters, and some of these people on the board are perhaps a little bit loopy weirdos who leak things constantly to the media and are always yakking and are always being unreasonable, and it's... Whoa, 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 whoa. what's different to the normal football club board? <laughs> Well, there's some people who never leak to the media. But yeah, I, um, so it, it, it does raise um, the, well, we're, we're, I think many of us are in favor of the more transparent governance that, that you have there. It does raise an issue in terms of, of efficiency and, uh, and whatnot. I guess there's a give and take. Some people think it's better to live in a democracy. Other people believe in uh, enlightened totalitarian dictatorship. Right, Husey? Uh, as long as you're not in charge. Are we back to Mourinho? There you go. That's all we've got time for this week. My thanks to Tony Evans, Matt Hughes, and from the great Northeast, George. 
Talkin'. A quick reminder that you can see this show live on the 6th of March at the Playhouse Theater in Liverpool. That's right, Tony Evans' hometown. Tickets cost £5 for Times Plus members and £7.50 for non-members. To book, you can visit www. .ctickets.com slash the times or better yet do it the old fashioned way 0871 620 4025 Uh, we're going to be back next week in the meantime you can hit us all up on Twitter we love hearing from you we love responding personally to each and every one of you if you need any pub or restaurant or gig suggestions in Liverpool uh, when you come up to uh, to see us on March 6th at the Playhouse Theatre Tony's your man Till next time bye bye Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central and search Did You Read to subscribe on iTunes.